The Hearth is for you if you're a business leader with a team. Here, we have conversations about how to keep growing when you feel you've reached your capacity, when what you're doing is working, but you're starting to see the cracks, when there's a gap between where you're at now and where you want to be. Here, we find ways to transition through the struggle of survival toward creating a thriving business that supports you and your team as whole humans. Your host is me, Candace Elliott. I'm a business strategist and mentor who specializes in working with business owners who are going through periods of growth especially when you're adding more people to your team. The practices and systems that worked when your team was smaller just don't seem to fit anymore. And when you're caught in stress and reaction, it's tough to reimagine the way that you created your world of work, both your own personal one and the one that you created for others. I help people align their values and business practices to build practical, sustainable, thriving work ecosystems. And no, this isn't just some work utopia talk. To do this, I bring forward my decade-long professional background in human resources and organizational development, working with growing businesses across many sectors and my decades-long search for meaning and wholeness, which includes researching the history of work and how it came to be what it is today, practicing a trauma-informed approach to business, and integrating work, life, and spirituality into a meaningful whole. Let's take this journey together. Welcome, brave souls. Welcome back to the hearth. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation that I had with a colleague named Deborah Lindsay. Deborah Lindsay is a fractional COO, so chief operating officer. So kind of how I do fractional human resources work, she does fractional operations work. Um, And she has a lot of experience, especially in the tech space, um, which is really exciting to talk about and learn about. Um, And so we had a conversation just about you know, operations and like what all that is, what it's kind of like to be a fractional um, uh, consultant and what all that entails. And I'm excited to bring this to you. I am so excited to be welcoming Deborah Lindsay to the show today. Thank you, Deborah, so much for being here. Thank you, Candice. It's amazing to be here. I'm really excited for our conversation. Um, So I'm just going to dive right in and ask you, so there are a lot of really unsustainable business practices and systems out there. What are some of the things a CEO or an executive director might be experiencing that would indicate that they need a chief operating officer? 
It's such a great question, and I'm thankful that you've brought it up. There are several reasons that a company, and it could be a founder, it doesn't need to be a CEO. I mean, a founder is often the CEO, but it doesn't need to be. It could be an executive director. It could be a small business owner that they might need to bring on a uh, a fractional COO or a COO. Um, and I... I do want to mention what a fractional is. Can we can we stop and I come back to your question and just answer what a fractional is because I think yeah, that definitely. some folks yeah, some folks may not have heard that term. Um and it is a, a part-time or full-time but a on-contractual basis COO or chief operations officer for hire. And this can be different than, or it is different than an interim COO or an interim anything. I mean, fractionals now are uh, really common. Most people have heard of them for a CFO or a chief financial officer, but it can be a CMO, marketing officer, CRHRO as yourself. Um, you are a little bit of a fractional yourself, mm -hmm. uh, Candace. Yeah. And um, they're typically, as I said, hired part-time by smaller mid-sized companies that are not really ready to bring on someone full-time to provide this leadership. And the key is, is that they're hands-on with the company and they're there to help grow or become more efficient. And we'll talk about that in a minute. An interim, on the other hand, is a temporary executive who's brought on to provide leadership during a transition period. This could be like a company's restructuring or, um, you know, like um, somebody, a COO has left and they're in the middle of a, a search for a new one. And they definitely have like a specific time frame. And their, their idea is that they're really there just to stabilize the organization and ensure a smooth transition while they're doing this executive search. But consultants are brought in and they have, they're there to provide specific strategic guidance and expertise on a project or an area of a company's um, operations. And they typically work on a project by project basis and may not have a long-term relationship with the company. And then an advisor is there to guide and provide mentorship to the executive team they are not there on the day-to-day -day operations, but they're there to, you know, provide that high-level, um, uh, high-level guidance so that a company can achieve its goals and, or you know, long-term goals. So I hope that's clear. I know that sometimes they sound very, very similar, but fractionals just keep in mind that they're being hired as that role, but they're just really not there um, full-time or you know, like hired specifically, they still are, um, you know, a contractor in a way, but they're a little bit different. It's, it's a fine line. I hope I haven't confused the audience more than yeah. me. No, I appreciate those distinctions between, so interim, I think of is often really full time and they're doing the job for, but for just a short amount of time. Right. They're, they're not planning on keeping that person. I mean, that person could be getting hired but they're there while there's a transition time happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the fractional um, 
chief operating officer position. You're doing the work of a chief chief operating officer, but with a company that is smaller, that doesn't have the need for a full-time person in that role yet. Um, and so it could become that eventually, but in the beginning, it, it sounds like there are more, at least in my experience, there are these more kind of strategic, like high-level problem-solving systems-related issues that people are trying to figure out and they don't, they need someone to be a thought partner to help with that. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'll go into the reasons that they, you know, when is a good time to bring them on. But what you've hit on the head is that it's generally small companies that are not quite ready to have, I mean, frankly, COOs are expensive it's hard to bring one on when you're in the early stages or you just don't have that financial capacity to bring them on full time. And yet you still need somebody who has experience, executive experience, and can provide you with that, um, that management so that you can become the company that you want to become. So that, that's what a fractional is all about. Um, so let's go to like all the reasons why a company might bring on a fractional COO and you, you hit it on the head when your company is experiencing growth or expansion. So there's a business growth moment happening and they want to bring somebody on to help manage all of the operations, um, effectively. Um, so, you know, business growth, number one reason, uh, number two is, often operational complexity. So, you know, there's so much that's complex in a company and there's only so much that the existing team might be able to do, especially if they're opening up new departments or creating new teams or having new locations or something. And they they need somebody who can come in and really oversee all that development from an operationals perspective. Um, that's a good time. And, you know, that could be what you're, you know, akin to business growth. Um, but sometimes those are separate and I, you know, pull them out like that. There could be um, like a strategic focus. Maybe the founder or the CEO is spending too much time day to day on operational tasks and finding it difficult to focus on what they need to focus on, which is strategic initiatives and visioning and long-term planning. Those things, you know, that's what the CEO is supposed to be focusing on in their job. And so it's time to bring an operations support person, generally a COO, to um, help them when they get to that place. And then the another reason is experience gap. It could be that the CEO or somebody, you know, the leadership team that it's as it's set up just doesn't have the skills that they need in, I don't know, supply chain management or logistics or, you know, uh, process optimization. It could be that they they the team is just lacking that experience and they need to bring somebody in who can do those things. Um, and they bring him in as a COO. And then there's two more, um, uh, times that I've seen it. There's probably more times than what I've, you know, what I'm mentioning to you as well, but, um, decision-making burden. So when there's so much decision, there's so much complexity that's going on in a company and 
they're not making the decisions that they need to make because the team is overwhelmed. Uh, they could bring in a fractional COO at that point to sort of help lighten that decision-making burden. Um, it's not quite as common that I've seen that piece specifically. It's generally, you know, all of these things as well as that, but you know, that's just an example. And then sometimes it's the board, you know, the board is like, or the investors are telling the company, listen, you need to bring in another layer of leadership to make sure that the business is being managed well and from an operations standpoint. So those are the, you know, kind of the most common reasons why you would bring on a COO and a fractional COO. So there are so many threads that you just brought up through that. And um, I think one of the things that kind of unites at all is this idea of operations, right? And so I'm curious within, because operations is, it can be like an octopus. <laughs> um, but what are the problems that you find yourself solving commonly in the world of operations? Like, what are the things that come up the most for you? It's a really good question. So um, there is a great book out. It's called How to Be a F Chief Operations Officer. It's written by a woman named Jennifer Geary. And uh, she identifies 16 disciplines that a COO has to have. That's and so many. <laughs> I know. And I actually add another one in there. I read it and I was like, wait, she doesn't have customer success. But it's you know, and I don't know why I'm sure it was not an oversight because she's really super smart, but um, it's finance and legal and HR and compliance and risk management. And, um, you know, uh, anyway, the list goes on. So the I think that COOs tend to have a broad knowledge. They're like C, uh, they're like uh, HR professionals, generalists, right? You You need to have enough information about all of those things to be able to get you to the next step. You know, you can't sort of blank out when it becomes, you know, that topic, you have to have at least a working knowledge in these things. Um, and I would say that my specialty, um, it lies in sustainability, in HR, in finance, even though I'm not a CFO, but I can dance myself around, a, you know, financials really well, um, risk compliant process development. Uh, and those are the things I actually really like to do. Investor management, um, board management. I wouldn't be brought on to a company that was really large. That's not been my wheelhouse. So I generally work with tech startups, um, nonprofits, and small businesses because that's where I've spent my career. I mean, I started my career, you know, several years ago, and um, and in uh, large putting on large scale musical events. Now I wasn't a I wasn't a C. Oh, oh, at that point, but I was definitely in operations. And um, so I put on large scale musical events. And then I went into co-founding a digital media company with my partner at the time. And, um, and I had a lot of different experiences there and then went into tech recently, more recently in the last 10 years in operations or HR and in sustainability as well. And so those are kind of where I'm most comfortable. That's why I stick with those. I think I have a lot of value 
And I've added a value in those spots. And then I've added the mission driven piece because of my background in sustainability. Um, super important to me. I have a similar background in starting more on the operations side. I ran a summer camp and um, then was brought on as the HR um, manager for a restaurant group, but ultimately ended up overseeing operations for the whole thing with the owners. And um, there's just so much crossover between um operations and really every single function of the organization. And um, yeah, so thanks for sharing a little bit about how you got to where you are today, because um, it takes a while, I think, to get the skill set in all these different areas and to see how they overlap with one another. And yeah, yeah, and exactly. You don't necessarily realize that you're in operations until years later and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing that my whole life, you know? So, um, yeah. And it does take somebody who can be a multitasker and who can really think deeply about, you know, different processes. And I, I enjoy, really enjoy actually going through process um, optimization. Um, when I did, and I learned how to do that when I was putting on large scale musical events, because it's very much the same when you're thinking, say, about a customer's success journey and you're going like, where's the first touch that a customer has with the company and what's the last touch? It's exactly the same thing, even if it's virtual to when is a customer, you know, entering, going to an event and, you know, they're going to, they're going to hear about it. They're going to sign up. They're going to uh, go to the registration and they're going to enter the building and then they're going to go to all the things and then they're going to, you know, have lunch and then they're going to leave and they're going to have a packet. It's the same if you're, if you are building a process within, um, you know, a SaaS platform, like a startup that I was with, Salhound, you know, we were doing exactly the same thing. How is the customer first hearing about us? How, what is the first experience with the app? Where are they getting their quality and assurance when they're using the app? Um, Cause it was a little bit of a SaaS and pass um, platform. And, um, and, you know, you have to draw it out. You do the whole thing. And then their last touch is here. And here's all the points that they're going to be talking to somebody. And here's all the points that something could go wrong. And here's all the points where we need to make sure that they're, you know, something's being confirmed that it's good and it's right. And how long is it taking from this point to that point? And, you know, or what's the letter that we're writing to the person when they, you know, when they receive their thing, you know, anyway, you know, that's, that's all operations. And, um, and, you know, and I love it. <laughs> I actually really love it. So um, you brought up a little bit, just a little bit ago about um, working with mission driven businesses. And I'm wondering what is unique about giving operational support that supports a business's purpose and values versus maybe operational support that's totally profit focused? <laughs> I've always, always been somebody who was um, really thinking about the planet and nature. When I was a little kid, I, I was, I grew up in Canada. I had a lot of time in nature, uh, un, un, unfocused time. Uh, so you learn when you have unfocused time in nature, you learn to be curious about it. And that's one of the things that they've determined is important in being a steward for the planet is having curiosity about it. And, um, and so 
when I was growing up and becoming a you know person in the world and people will tell you that I was that person that was like, we've got to save the tree over here and we've got to save the whale over there. And we've got to, you know, like I always had some petition that I was trying to get people to sign and some passion project um, that's just been who I am. And when I went to undergrad, I actually um, took a long time to finish my bachelor's because I had children in between. Um, and I went to a program and I got uh, undergrad in culture, ecology and sustainable communities. And I really was a community developer or community um, organizer like Obama. I was happy to say we shared that background. And um, and I um, and I left there. I started a nonprofit. It's still going. Uh, co-founded it. It was called Sustainable Monterey County. Now it's called Communities for Sustainable Monterey County. That was my brainchild along with my co-founder. And um, and I and I you know, I, I just wanted to save everything. I wanted to make sure that, that people had the capacity to optimize their actions. So sustainable Monterey County is built on this idea that, um, uh, people, when they join together, when they join forces together, they're stronger when their voices are heard as a collective than individually. So it's really set up as a way to elevate, um, citizens voices in at the um, uh, local election and um, you know a local politics level, so you know rather than like five people showing up to say let's do a plastic bag ban, you can go to the sort of the hub, the organization itself, Sustainable Monterey County, and have people have fifty people show up to a you know a, um, a city council meeting and and have action taken. And it's very effective. It's working really well. The organization is close to being 20 years uh, old. So that's great that it's still going. Um, but I realized uh, through a series of other uh, things that I did that for me, um, I wanted to get into the corporate um, space because I, I think that that's where so much is happening that uh, can be managed from the get-go or at the, you know, the highest levels within a company. And, um, and I said, okay, I'm going to move out of being a community organizer and I'm going to go back and get my MBA and become, you know, like a, a corporate person and um, be able to uh, work with companies to make a change. But when I was in grad school, I realized that as we were getting coached during class, you know, like where, where do you want to be? Like, do you want to, what companies do you want to work with? And I would be sitting there and I'd be thinking, you know, I don't think the companies that I want to work with exist yet. I think that the, the companies are, they're, they're going to be launching as I get out of grad school that they're, that they're, you know, that there's people who are creating solutions for today for a better world tomorrow. And I use that. That was the tagline of my radio show when I had a radio show, but I still say it because it um, applies. 
There are companies that are working on things right now that are problems right now that we don't even know about yet. And it's those companies that I want to work with. I was never able to say, I want to go work for Patagonia or I want to go work for, you know, some company, Walmart or someplace. And I, and I say Walmart, even though I, I don't, you know, there's some issues with the company, but they actually have a really strong sustainability program as does Target. And there's a lot of big companies that do, but I knew that I wasn't going to be in the big company arena. That just wasn't where I was going to be, that it was going to be a startup. That it was going to be that initial idea that somebody was having. I know, and I'll give you an example because there's a guy that I know right now who's developing a product to help save or make queen bees in the hive safer. And I'm like, oh my God, that guy, that guy right there, he's got a brilliant idea. He probably doesn't know how to get his company launched. I want to help that guy. Now, on the practical level, he probably can't afford me. So it does need to be a company that's a little bit more developed than that. But um, I'm just giving an example that I I am driven to find companies that are solving these issues of climate change and um you know, economic inequity and social inequity and, you know, dealing with political unrest and all that, because it's just, it's like in my, and, and, you know, my DNA, like it just is in my body. I have no other choice. I have to do this. So that's why I work with them. Yeah. I think just going, cause I have done a lot of work in local government and I see this intersection between working on these issues at the local government level, like you're talking about showing up at a city council meeting with 50 people on a particular issue when there's going to be a vote, right? Which is so important to have people tell their stories. And then also on the other side, to be in that for-profit sector or even nonprofit sector also, where there is such a possibility to affect change within the scope of what will happen with that business. That's why I love working with smaller businesses too. It's because I feel like when you come in on that ground level, you have the ability of of establishing and naming values early on and building systems around those values so that you create when the when the company is bigger something that already is functioning in that way so instead of having to do like a huge course correct <laughs> you know slowing the ship way down and turning it's a lot more agile when it's smaller it's interesting to work in that space right i mean in startups who have to go and find investor support you know they want to have it they want to align. They want their investors to align with their mission. They want to have a board that does. They want to build in, you know, their initiatives with the board and codify them in the in the meeting notes so that um, in the future those things aren't going to get lost. That they're, you know, that the impulses of the founder to do right and to do good and to build, you know, a, a product that really is going to solve things when push comes to shove. It's not going to get put aside because it wasn't built into the infrastructure of the company. So it is important to get there right in the first, you know, in the beginning. 
all the way around. And plus, you know, you want to make sure that your board is diverse from the get go because you want the diversity of thought and and you want to make sure that your systems that you're setting up in HR are inclusive and fair and people are going to get paid properly. I mean, and so the COO is the one who's holding the line for all of that. I mean, it is important for the CEO, of course, to have that inclination as well. But I think it's the COO who is the one who's making sure that that work is done because the CEO should be focused outward. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways that the CEO and the CEO can work together, but often it's the CEO is on is outward facing strategy investors out there. COO is inward facing dealing with what's going on in the company. So what are some of the ways that you incorporate sustainability into your work as a COO with a company? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of amazing resources out there. Um, uh, there's companies like B, uh, B Corp Lab. It's a B, it's a B Corp certification. I mean, they're amazing. It's one of the best resources. I don't know why I can't think of 100% their name right now, but it's one of the best resources for businesses, businesses of all sizes. A small business often can't afford to necessarily go that route because it can be kind of expensive to get that certification, but they have so many resources that you can just be like, okay, I'm going to kind of follow this guideline and maybe I won't become certified, but at least I will be building the company you know, right from the get go. And then the other thing is, is that, gosh, we have so many, you know, like the green business network. I mean, it's a really good system and you can work with local people and depending on what company you, what kind of company you've got, I mean, you can have a restaurant or a laundromat or a mechanics, you know, company. And uh, I have greened a bookstore, a radio station, a tech startup, a school. So there's a lot of ways that you can, in, you know, bring in tools. You don't have to invent it yourself. My gosh, you could probably even go to chat GPT and just say, I want to green my business. What are some of the things I could do? And it's going to give you a great list. And then it's just a matter of, you know, finding the people in the company who are going to be the champions of that and making sure that there's, um, um, you know, some metrics in place so that you can track how well you're doing. You want to be able to say, this is where we're starting and this is where we're going to go to, um, you know, like uh, developing an objective and a key uh, result of like, we want to be here and how are we going to know that we've succeeded? And uh, so that then you can communicate that out and you want to, you want to tell people of the successes that you've had. Um uh, so those are some of the, the ways that I do it. I do find that because startups are just trying to keep their head above water, it's often very hard to stay focused on how, it, you know, the priority of being sustainable. But uh, as long as you're making like little consistent drips at it so while you're going, then you know, you know, it's going to be easier down the line. Um, again, when I was with Cellhound, uh, one of the products that, uh, the service that was a platform as well, um, was that we were helping people reduce, um, 
or keep items out of landfills, clothing items and household items out of the landfill by helping them create a listing for um, eBay, particularly to help them sell their item and make more money. And, you know, you're going, well, how do you measure something like that? How are you going to say, you know, we've had this big impact and it's very difficult because you don't know in the end whether or not that person actually did sell that thing or what actually did happen to the thing that you were helping them. But we came up with some like, you know, pretty reasonable uh, metrics to say that, you know, we were helping to divert this thing. And, you know, if a pair of pants on average weighs three to pounds, then we could say, all right, well, on average, the clothes that we're keeping out of or that we're supporting to keep out of the landfill is X. And, you know, so it's just, it's how do you frame it? How do you make sure that you're not greenwashing something because you don't want to be making a claim that you can't support? Um, that's terrible. Um, and yet you also don't want to not communicate that you're doing something like there's people who are, there's companies that are doing really well and being green and they don't even talk about it because they don't want to, I don't know, have their product appear to be too complex for their audience. I mean, you know, like I I've been to lectures where they've talked about well, how are we going to talk about sustainability or being green or eco or regenerative or, you know, how are we going to bring this up? And they're like, we're just not going to bring it up. We're just going to do our thing. We're not going to talk about it because if we do, our clients are going to think that our product's more expensive or that we are, um, you know, somehow changing the values that they have long held as important. You know, what I don't, whatever those are, but, um, you know, being able to say like, here's what we're doing. It's legitimate. And this is how I can back it up. Make sure that you talk to experts and say, is this reasonable? Um, so that you can get metrics around what you're doing. And so those are the ways I know I just kind of went all over the place, but that's some ways that I help, um, bring in sustainability into a company. Yeah, the restaurant group that I worked for had sustainability as a value, and my company also does. And um, the it, the way that it worked, you know, kind of operationally was it was a lens through which we looked at all of our decisions. So if we were sourcing food, we were sourcing from local farmers. If we were sourcing paper products. We were trying to find recycled products if it was possible to do that and non-plastic products. And we were purchasing them from a local a, like vendor from Coast Paper. Um, and then and then also because it was a value that we talked about, it would come up in conversations, um, especially with our staff, where if things were not being done sustainably, it would come up and then we would have we would be able to address it. Um, so it's interesting too to like see how how naming something like sustainability as a value of the organization guides decision making, and then also, it, you know, if you if you have open communication with your team, they can help you to kind of refine and revise and come to better systems over time. 
Totally. And teams actually will uh, really appreciate if a company is um, going green or has that value. You know, they're finding that retention is much higher for, com- as you would know, you know, for companies that have that as a value. It's imperative, right? It's, it is, um, there is some discussion in the science world that maybe we have clipped off the, 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 the upper part of our um, temperature increase. You know, they're, they're thinking that maybe we're not going to hit 5% or 5 degrees um, of increase in temperature because of efforts that have been done um, already, which is amazing. It's not, it's not anything to really write home about, but it is something to at least acknowledge that we're able to make um, change and that we're able to make an impact. And uh, so if anybody says, well, whatever I do, it doesn't really matter. Like it's just a big mess and I can't do anything. It's like, no, we've actually already done a thing. We've actually already been able to like, maybe keep this from being the worst scenario on the whole, you know, scale of scenarios. Maybe we've been able to creep that down to like, okay, it's really, really, really bad. Really, you know, like there's maybe four reallys rather than five reallys. And, um, and so, you know, that's important. And I think that every single person in every single way that they can need to take action. Um, and so this is just how I do it. I think, you know, in thinking about climate change, <laughs> I was a couple of weeks ago, for some reason, I was looking at sea level rise at, you know, 2100 and like what, what's going to be left of like our town in these different scenarios. And it was right before I went to bed and that was not like, I didn't sleep at all that night and it can feel, it can feel hopeless. Um, but, but recognizing that work has been done, there's some achievement that's going in the right direction. Um, and that also, you know, we each need to do what what we can toward that end of sustainability. And also, if we're in the position of running an organization, of having connections within our local government or our state government, nationally, internationally, with large corporations, then then it is, I feel, a responsibility to work on sustainability in those arenas because that's really where where the systems have been created that have um, made the issues that we're dealing with today. Totally. And, and the business world is actually um, on board with this. It's funny. There's a term that's being used right now and um, – it, and to me, it's like, how do you say climate change without saying climate change? And what you say is VUCA. I don't know whether you've ever heard of this term, but VUCA, V-U-C-A, is a term that's being used in business now. And it stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And I think that every business needs to, and every person needs to understand that the concept of VUCA because it is really forcing companies and people to think about how can you be agile? And there's not a business that is not thinking about VUCA right now. They need to, companies need to be quick to adapt. They need to, you know, to changing circumstances and they need to be able to 
pivot strategies and seize opportunities based on, you know, what may arise that has a focus on flexibility and speed and resilience. Um, They need to be very innovative to thrive in a VUCA world. Collaboration, like we've been talking about, is really needed. Um, And working together with other stakeholders, right? Because businesses can leverage their collective strengths and resources um, because businesses that help build resiliency and adaptability together are actually going to do better in this whole thing. Diversity and inclusion is huge and essential in a thriving VUCA world because, you know, how different people think about things and their background and their perspectives, um, that's going to what's going to foster innovation and better understand the needs of customers and just the community as a whole. And so, you know, when we think about how are we going to embrace the uncertainty of climate change and be adaptable? And definitely, if we want to achieve long-term success, then we have to start understanding that nothing is going to be back to where it was. We are already experiencing climate change. I mean, just look at New York last week. Um, those are climate change issues. Um <sighs> Just throwing in here at the time of recording this last week, New York was covered in smoke. <laughs> um, we're recording in June. So this June of 2023. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, you know, worst atmosphere in New York ever, I think, and recorded knowledge. And um, so, you know, like, it's opportunities are there, right? Here I am on the cusp of an opportunity as a fractional who's focused on mission-driven businesses. Bam, opportunity right there. Um, and anybody who's not thinking about these issues, then they're going to be, I think, left in the dust. So, you know, that's kind of how we're going to operate with all of things that are going on climate change-wise. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about financial instability, but I think VUCA just kind of covers all of it because financial instability is a part of that. And it's reminding me of like the beginning of COVID and we just all were thrown into this wild time and nobody knew what was going to happen or what the rules were. And I feel like the organizations that I worked with that navigated well were ones that... um. They made short-term plans. They dealt with, you know, what was happening at the moment, left kind of the future flexible, tried to have lots of different options of different ways to go, um, and and really um, tried to care for themselves and their teams in a way so that they were helping to manage the stress that was going on. Um, because these intense moments will just keep happening. Right. And so we, we gotta, if we're all going to keep going, (laughs) we've got to find a way to get through them together. Yeah. You've hit it on the head. Um, so in terms of like what a company can do if they're, you know, like struggling financially, um, I mean, you know, there's always the clear, you know, like, got to cut back on your expenses and um, try to make more money. You know, like those are the classic, you know, like, what do you do? It's the same as if you're trying to diet, you got to, you know, exercise more, eat less, whatever. But the, um, the, the point is, is that um, 
there are so many different challenges that are going to be coming our way. And so uh, financial stability is going to be um, predicated on, you know, have you got a good store of supplies in your business? I mean, I think that that um, the philosophy of having, you know, no supplies in your stock, uh, any, you know, and just sort of meeting need as it happens, that whole philosophy that most companies have been operating under, I think that that's going to go away. You need to be able to keep, um, supplies on hand. Uh, of course that depends on your financial abilities because it locks up cash, um, when you're there, uh, you know, so it's just going to be, like tactics like that, that are going to help, um, in during difficult financial times. Um, and we can go into that further. People can reach out to me if they want to talk about that more. Depending on their own needs. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, getting rid of, uh, buildings that you're not using any longer, consolidating, um, operations, you know, it just depends on what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve. You know, it's hard to give an overall. Yeah, it kind of depends on what's going on and what the industry is. But um, reassessing your supply chains, making different relationships with people. And of course, that all has to do with sustainability, too. Sometimes people equate going sustainable as more expensive. And it's often the other way around because you you learn how to maximize your, um, you know, your ROI, you just like, you're, you know, you're off to, you just want to make sure that, um, supply chains are shorter, that you're making the direct connections that, you know, anywhere that there's a lag, you're taking that out, you know, um, maybe things might cost a little bit more upfront, but over the long term they're going to pay out. So, yeah. And it can be like, like you have a lane that you're in and you're, and you shrink it so that you're in a smaller part of the lane, or it could be that you decide to pivot and go down another road because of the different situations that are going on. So that's why working with Deborah is, <laughs> is great if, if something like that's going on. So what's going on for you in your business right now? Well, I mean, uh, like I said, I've been in it for the business for a long time, but I haven't had my own business for my for a long time. This is a new, you know, becoming a fractional and putting my little sign on my door is pretty new. And so, uh, yeah, um, going. Uh, so I'm learning a lot about marketing and uh, learning a lot about sales. Uh, operations people are not always the best salespeople. I, I think I've come to know that um, because they, uh, you know, we're, we're like to be like telling everybody what to do and like, you know, look, at, okay, that's take that line out because we no. <laughs> <laughs> take that it's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, we tend to be sort of, you know, and well, we're not tend to be, we are kind of like, what's everybody up to? What are we, what are we all doing versus just a single, like, you know, I'm, I'm in a sales process with you and we're, you know, figuring it out and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. so some, you know, I'm just upskilling myself. I've been learning a lot about AI and how to, to, um, use that within a company, um, listening to how people, and I, I belong to a lot of different global operations networks and, you know, so attending 
quite a few um, lectures on how are operations people using AI, how, you know, trying to learn it, how am I doing it? I've written a book with a chat GPT, 14 chapter book with chat GPT and illustrations. Um, Yeah. In an afternoon on sustainability, it's never going to be published, but it's, you know, just my own fun. Like, how am I, you know, what am I doing with this? What, What is it capable of? Um, and so, yeah, so there's a lot of learning. I actually also, um, do executive mentoring and, um, Mm. so, you know, working with people and, and even small companies who can't bring me on full time, but they want to have somebody in their back pocket, they can hire me for a short series of times that I'll just come in and sort of drop in and say, well, you know, you could do this and you could do that and you could do this or actually like serious career mentoring. Um, and believe it or not, I actually also marry people. So I'm an officiant ah. and I help, I help people, uh, through that and not How through, fun. You know. and so summertime is a big moment for weddings mm. and, uh, yeah, so I'm a busy person and it's fun. <laughs> That's what What's I'm the best way for people to get into contact with you? Well, it's always best just to go to my website, which is DebraLindsay.com. And uh, you can download actually a booklet on the five operational tips for saving you money. It's in there. Um, And we bring up like, how do you do a process uh, map and other ways to, to, to save money? Um, but there's also in there a link to booking a 15 minute call with me, a chit chat with me. And so I think that that's kind of the best way to reach out with me. And, and LinkedIn, of course, is always a really good way. I love, um, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So if you are listening to this, just go and find me. Yeah. We'll add all of those links in the notes and thank you so much for joining me today, Deborah. I really appreciate it. Oh, Candace, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that people who are out there really understand that, you know, I don't want people to be afraid of climate change and sort of all the uncertainty, the VUCA world we were talking about. I think that when we're knowledgeable and when we're working together, we can actually solve a lot of these things. So just, you know, it's, it's okay. Don't, I didn't, I realized that sometimes that can get kind of heavy and I just want people to feel like there's stuff to do. There's stuff to do. There's still hope. Yeah. That's Thank it. you. You're welcome. Hit subscribe to know when the next episodes come out. And if you're feeling generous, please leave a review. Reviews help other like-minded folks find their way to this resource. If something you heard today brought a smile to your face or a spark to your heart, and you'd like to connect with me, there are a few ways to do that. One is my newsletter where I put most of my time and energy when I'm not working with clients or with my family or working on this podcast. Sorry, social media. The newsletter is a mix of real life stories, tips and tricks, and of course, updates on what's happening with the podcast. Whenever something's going on with me or in my business, it always comes out there first. Another resource that I have for you is my guide to doing work differently. This guide takes you through four inquiries into how you can build a more sustainable and equitable work environment for yourself and your team. 
it's a great place if you're looking for somewhere to get started. Last, if you've got a burning question, a comment, or a situation you'd like my eyes on, you can email me. All those links are in the show notes. Take care, brave soul. Catch you next time.